Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Stefan Wiedner, the CEO of Numi.com and Zarango.com, joins Susan and I to talk about psychological safety and what's going on at Twitter right now. We talk about the benefits of deliberate practice in leadership, turning soft skills into skills that we can practice. And we also talk about Elon Musk's recent acquisition of Twitter, what he's demonstrating as a leader and how it's impacting Twitter's people. If you haven't yet, please hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple, Amazon Music, Google, Stitcher, and even on YouTube as well. Also, please share the podcast with your leaders in your life and your friends. We'd love to grow and we are growing at a rapid rate. So would totally love more folks on the bandwagon. And lastly, we at Elite High Performance specialize in building high-impact leaders that turn their teams into happy high performers who crush their goals. So if you're interested in anything leadership development, one-on-one leadership coaching, conflict management, psychological safety, DEI, keynote speaking, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com or you can shoot me an email, Rob at EliteHighPerformance.com. And we can see if we have anything that's right for you. Everybody, I appreciate you so much for listening. And here's the interview with Stefan Wiedner. We are live. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. And as always, the yang to my yin, Susan Hobson. Susan, how are you? I am fired up and ready for this interview. So let's go. Let's get this party started, shall we? This is going to be a fun one. And obviously, we have to start off with a quote. And so I have one here from Angie Whelan Crosby. And she says, never be afraid to dive inward. Your soul will catch you. Oh, I love that quote. Tell us why you chose that one this morning. I chose that one as I've been hearing a lot about folks listening to the David Irvine interview from two weeks ago and where we talked about basically that inner journey. And I think it's just super important to reinforce like, yes, it feels scary Mm -hmm. and it can be something that's uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but if you trust it and you allow it to happen, you'll find out what you need to find out. Alrighty, so we have a special guest today, the CEO of Numi.com and Zarango.com, and a psych safety expert, Steph Wiedner is with us today. Steph, how are you? I am doing great, Rob and Susan. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. And yeah, we just wanted to start off before we jump into the nuts and bolts. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and... A little bit about what you do. Sure. Yeah. Well, I started my, I guess, professional journey, obviously going through university school and all that. And um, I was at a crossroads in my career. 
where I had a lot of responsibility. I was doing construction management, scheduling, all this sort of stuff. And sitting there going, huh, this is not really that fun. I didn't hate it. (laughs) Um, What I was doing is I was going down to Carson City, Nevada uh, every month. I was down there roughly a week a month. And I was the head scheduler for this brand new hospital they were building. And so there's a lot of responsibility. I was coordinating all the different trades on a project of that size and scope. There's about 50 different trades, everything from, you know, your concrete guys, your rebar guys, all the way up to fireproofing and exterior closure, blah, 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 so on and so forth. So it was a big responsibility. And I was in board, many board meetings with senior engineers, senior architects, all in their fifties and sixties. And here I was someone in my twenties going, is this what I want to be doing when I'm 50 or 60? Yes. <laughs> You know, the answer was no, not that it was bad work, but I, I, I found myself feeling rather ambivalent about the work. Like I was, it didn't, I didn't dread it, but I wasn't, it didn't fire me up. You know, it wasn't really exciting for me. And I went back into my early days of university or my, my, I did some, uh, I did a bachelor of commerce, so studied business and my favorite class by far was organizational behavior. I just loved it. I soaked that up and and then related subjects. So I've always been interested in psychology. I've always been interested in high performance. And I've always been interested in being part of a team. I've grown up playing team sports. And so that was always something that really lit me up and, and fired me up. And so um, I decided to make a shift in my career. And that's when I explored this whole world of coaching started up newme.com uh newme is a network of coaches all around the world and uh that sort of set the the wheels of motion in in you know that got those wheels turning to pursue a career that really fulfilled me and was really appealing and interesting in this world of coaching psychology high performance teams etc and that's where um my interest in psychological safety has evolved and what mission are you on at NUMI, if you don't mind me asking? What's this all about for you? It's all about really solving the world's biggest problems. So we have massive issues as a human race <laughs> with climate change, etc. And so I want to ensure that everybody is living their best lives, solving the world's biggest problems. And, you know, I think when we're in that ego phase of get more money, beat the next guy. We're not thinking big enough, holistically enough. um, And we're not necessarily tapping into our core values. Mm -hmm. And so I want everybody to be really living a life where they can take moments to stop and pause and go, okay, am I doing the right thing here? Given my circumstance, Uh, am I dedicating my time and effort and resources to the, the issues that matter most to me? Mm-hmm. So something that I want to just touch on briefly before we get into the Twitter debacle is, uh-huh. is you run a website called skillsetter.com and it's very focused around taking the quote unquote soft skills mm-hmm. and turning it into practical skills that we can practice. Do you want to tell us just a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. Sure. A uh, good way to think about Skillsetter is it's like a um, flight simulator for interpersonal skills. So what do you do in a flight simulator? You sit down and you're flying an airplane and, and you go through all kinds of turbulent, uh, environmental situations and you have to land the plane safely. 
in uh, with skill set or with interpersonal skills, what we do is we expose people to challenging interpersonal moments within a team. And it might be a one-on-one scenario. It might be a team-based scenario. And you need to, you know, quote unquote, land the airplane <laughs> safely. Um, so you need to practice your skills. And the way it works with each one of these vignettes being 20 to maybe 60 seconds long, maybe maximum two minutes, um, it, the video stops and it's now your turn to speak. So you need to say what you would say as if you were in the room with those people, even though it's a recorded video. And when you're doing so, you want to be practicing one skill at a time. And just like in sports, right, when you practice, let's say, the skills of playing basketball, you know, you dribble with your right hand, then you dribble with your left hand. And in a game, you put all those skills together. So yeah. we do the same thing. We, we're going to practice dribbling with your right hand. So today, you might focus on solely the skill of asking an open-ended question. Because so often we ask a question like, do you have any questions? <laughs> that's a closed ended question. Whereas what questions do you have yeah. is an open ended question because it can't be answered with a yes or no. Yeah. And so often we ask questions as if they're open ended questions, but they're actually closed ended questions. And maybe it's a subtlety in language, but it actually met, it matters. We, mm -hmm. There have been research studies that have looked at, do you have any questions versus what questions do you have? And you get a marketably more greater input when you ask what questions do you have and so that's all you do you practice that one skill until you nail it and with each skill we provide a rubric so when this skill is used properly this tends to be true this is true this is true and you avoid doing this so then you can self-evaluate that's a really important part of that whole practice right when you when you're practicing sports or music there's some self-evaluation there you can hear that you made hit the wrong note on the keyboard or you can see that the ball didn't go in the hoop <laughs> you get that immediate feedback exactly. when you say something to your teammates you don't know how it lands obviously there's some reaction there's there's some body language that you can start to read or maybe they respond verbally but you don't always know how what you say lands and so um, we provide that rubric so that you can evaluate yourself and practice and do it again and do it again and do it again until you realize, okay, yeah, I think this is a good response. I'm going to submit it. And then we give people specific feedback um, once they submit their response. I love that. And it's something we, we're totally aligned on the practice and we're, we're doing it now in one of the conflict management programs that we're running. Yeah. And it's really fun to watch folks get out there and get in these tough spots and try to yeah. practice their way out. So anyways, Rumble. I definitely wanted to to just prime that for folks out there because I, I think it's, it's incredible and it's putting this box around this amorphous soft skill type of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of why folks are struggling to implement or struggling to actually make changes in the leadership. Mm-hmm because of just the way programs are taught. And then also mm -hmm. there's like a lack of this, like, Hey, go on, be empathetic. Okay. Well, what does that mean? Ah, right? Yeah. So just yeah, wanted to, yeah, go exactly. Ahead. Well, one of the things we like to say is you can't learn to play the piano by reading a book. Right. <laughs> and yet why are we, <laughs> you know, there's That's lots of I leadership books, right. And, and so we're trying to bridge that gap from you read about the concepts, you understand them, and then you're in a game, 
and what's in between, right? There's very yeah. little in between. So um, that's the bridge we're trying to gap. Why is this such gap, a blind? We're trying to bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had my words flipped. <laughs> we knew what you were throwing down there. Steph. No worries. <laughs> All right. I'm curious though, why is this such a blind spot? You know, this Harvard Business Review came out saying the $365 billion, million dollars spent on leadership development and training globally last year. 75% was rated ineffective. Um, and it was rated ineffective. We know based on this study because they didn't go to the step of depth known as mindset where all this behavior modification stuff lives. We got a, a message this morning from a leader that was looking to bring us into work with his leadership team and wanted all these different things in a one day training on site. <laughs> Why is this such a gap still in our understanding of what is actually required to be able to go through a process of change and behavior modification. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think we're just, it, it's this conception that people think they can learn to be a better leader by reading a book. You know, we somehow haven't connected the dots, right? We get that if I, if I want to be a better piano player, mm -hmm. I have to spend hours and hours and hours and hours on the mm -hmm. keyboard. There's mm -hmm. no way around it. You can't sit there watching YouTube of mm -hmm. concert pianists, right? You can't sit yeah. there watching Simon Sinek and yeah. Tony Robbins. <laughs> That's not going to get behavior change. Yeah. It's going to fill your head with new ideas that yeah. will slowly, you know, fade away. Yeah. And so I think there's a gap between this idea of knowledge acquisition and skill acquisition. And mm -hmm. I think most people think leadership is knowledge. You just need to know what to do or say. And then you'll do or say it. And that's not the case. It is not the case. It is a practice. Mm -hmm. It is a practice. And we are trying to deconstruct leadership into its individual components, the behavior components, and then be able to practice those individual components one at a time. And of course, in a game, when you're in front of the board or you're at a town hall, you can put all those skills together and speak and communicate the way that is most effective for your environment. That's where I want to go with you next is just what does the leadership mean to you? And what style of leadership do you feel is required to solve some of the world's biggest problems? Well, I think leadership is mainly around creating a vision, right? And having people rally around that vision. And that, that to me is leadership. So mm -hmm. it's about creating that compelling vision that people want to jump on board. Mm -hmm. And we also know that one of the key motivators for anybody is feeling part of something bigger than themselves. Um, I believe it was Tony Shea's book from uh, Delivering Happiness. He was mm -hmm. the CEO of Zappos, right? He wrote a big deal about that. He's like, he recognized that people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. So uh, he created a culture where people felt that sense of belonging. And I think that's a really powerful way of, of leading. Yeah, I love that one. And and it's funny, the the thing in that book, they talk about someone called the customer services post for a pizza, and they actually made it happen. So yeah, that was an incredible book. Now, I mean, obviously, I wanted to pivot this one into talking a little bit about what's going on at Twitter and mm -hmm. someone who is struggling to figure out what to say in front of all their employees. And I'll start off 
here with a few quotes from an employee that was recently laid off. And they said, people can't overlook the public mockery and firing of other employees. In the same vein, they can't overlook or feel comfortable working for someone who has handled the last few weeks the way Elon has. And last, the last quote from that same employee was, people don't want to sacrifice their mental health and family lives to make the richest man in the world richer. Oh, I love that last part. <laughs> it's a so, bit of a zinger, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And it's, I mean, for folks, just to, we'll, we'll outline what's been going on. And so Elon Musk acquired Twitter, was somewhere around the first week of November. He laid off 3,700 employees. He cut the contractors and he pushed out the executive team and the board of directors he has fired folks on Twitter and on internal Slack channels in front of either the world or the internal Slack channel being in front of the whole company. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that's been happening, he has been tweeting two to three times more per day now after acquiring Twitter than before. So yeah. it's around 36 tweets per day. Um just to put that into perspective, he is the CEO of five different companies right now. And the reason I put those two in is he asked his folks on Wednesday to work long hours at high intensity, otherwise that they would get fired. And he said, quote, extremely hardcore work culture. And he's asking folks to be in the office for at a minimum 80 hours per week. Now, if we just do math here, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he runs five companies. There's 168 hours per week. So right there, you're less than 40 hours if you split equally among the five companies. Now you're tweeting 36 times per day. So right there, and that's taking time from leadership activities that you mm-hmm. should be doing. And so I just wanted to throw that in because either CEO is an incredibly easy job where that only requires... <laughs> You know, something like 10 hours a week, or he's not as hardcore as he wants his staff to be. Ooh, I love that. And that's, for me, the biggest thing about leadership is Mm -hmm. you got to walk the walk. Mm -hmm. And it's that last quote, right? It's like, if you want me to sacrifice my mental health and my family life to make you richer, I better see you in the office Mm -hmm. because you're not committed as much as you want me to be. Mm-hmm. And you own it, and you're getting the vast majority of the benefit of this work, right? Mm-hmm. So, wanted to start there. Um, yeah, Steph, do you want to kick us off? What do you think? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Oh, <laughs> I'll say, <laughs> wow, right? Um, that I didn't get the same reaction. I'm going to start there, Rob, because uh, I believe that Elon Musk is an immense hard worker. (laughs) He puts in long hours. And yeah, granted, he has five different companies for which he's steering the ship. Um, And, you know, there's reports on Tesla, him sleeping in the, you know, on the floor of the shop, right? And, you know, just, just relentless in his effort to push things forward and do really deep level engineering like really pushing for innovation and creativity and the fact that with spacex they've been able to uh do something that nasa never even 
maybe they never really considered it, but it's really innovative to take these ships and um, reuse them. Mm -hmm. Right. That's pretty fantastic what he's been able to do. So you can't knock his achievements (laughs) in all of his companies. um, And does that seem hypocritical for him to say, you need to be working 80 hours a week and I clearly cannot commit 80 hours per week to this one particular business, mm-hmm. maybe 80 hours or more cumulatively split across all five companies. Um, but you're, <clears throat> what you're pointing to Rob is, is that hypocrisy. And and do you think others feel that same way? I mean, I know how I would feel if I was in that situation, right. Mm-hmm. Is, is literally like the last person who got laid off, right. It's like, you're asking me to work 80 hours per week and it's impossible for you to be at Twitter 80 hours per week. Mm-hmm. And then even like, why are you tweeting 36 times a day, right? Like you're supposed to be the CEO. You should be learning how the company works. You should be learning your staff, who they are, like mm-hmm. understanding how the process works. And before just jumping in and being like, we got to cut all this staff. We got to cut all this overhead. We got to do this, 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 this. It's like, you don't even understand how the company works itself. Like you, you can't understand that in two weeks. Mm. And how, and how about the impacts to psychosafety? Yeah, well, uh, let's look at things through that lens, right? What mm-hmm. is psycho? Let's maybe start with what is it, right? Psychological safety is the belief that within your work environment, you can speak up, you can say what's on your mind. Sometimes it's called a speak up culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to even admit mistakes in without any fear of reprimand. So. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not concerned about getting fired. You're not concerned about someone publicly humiliating you, which we're you, arguably <laughs> we're seeing with some of these firings, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so is that going to diminish psychological safety? I would imagine, heck yeah. And yet what I think he's doing is he's creating an immense culture of, of commitment because those who are not staying – Right. Those who are going to stay, which is going to be a small minority of the organization, those who are going to stay are probably going to be doubling down. They're going to be saying, "Okay, I'm in. I am an extreme hard worker. I'm willing to wear that label and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to move this organization forward. I think the fear or the the concern with that is, are is there psychological safety in that environment when you have these extreme um values, the core values of working extremely hard. And, you know, is everyone just following? So the the, the big question I would ask is, is there a sufficient amount of correction? Because we've seen that in other organizations like WeWork, or I think it was Volkswagen or BP, these organizations that have gotten themselves into tremendous hot water, like with Volkswagen, the, the whole issue with the emissions and, you know, tweaking the system so that the machine didn't read the read <laughs> ratings correctly and all that. Right. And that was, that was a quote unquote toxic leader saying, we are going to reduce our emissions full stop, get them really low or else. Yeah. And so the engineers solved that problem. <laughs> They sure <laughs> did. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I think they they were saying uh, it's kind of an impossibility with the technology we have, but I guess we'll figure it out. And they came up with a, a solution that was, uh, you know, really crippled the organization for some period of time when, when it was outed, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an environment where there's a not enough correction. Mm-hmm. And 
is Elon Musk going to drive the organization forward with all of these hardcore workers who are all just going to kind of blindly follow him? Will there be psychological safety within this kind of, we'll call it toxin, toxic masculine work environment? I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I What I think with the difference maybe with Elon Musk and some of these other leaders is I think he really values science. He values data. He values objectivity. And can he get enough of that in that environment? I don't know. I just wonder about the humanity aspect, right? Or the sustainability of the humans that are being asked to sacrifice so much. Like we definitely know what the stats on burnout are. It's never been higher, you know? Like how is that not going to impact their mental and physical health and well-being? It probably will, but it's a choice they're making. Mm -hmm. They have a choice. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not for it. I wouldn't want to work there. Yeah. But for those who do, it's a little bit like in sports. Remember, there used to be hazing. Yeah, yeah. And why? Why did we do that? You know, why? Why would a group of athletes decide to haze one another? Power over. It's power, power in the over. <clears throat> it's to establish it, seniority. And respect for the seniority. That's what hazing is all about, right? But doesn't it doesn't it also increase commitment? Doesn't it, it's like, okay, I've been through the hazing. I'm in. Yay. All right. And others didn't get in. So they suck. I'm better. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> right? I and I so. Depends on I the individual, right? Absolutely. And so I think that's, I, I, I'm guessing that's got to be part of the big motivation here is, okay, let's. Let's create this culture. He's cleaning house and he's only, he only wants those who are going to double down and be mm -hmm. ultra, ultra, ultra committed. And uh, like him, <laughs> I guess. But I is there going to be sufficient correction? Yeah. Are, are all of these folks going to just follow militarily like the orders of the, you know, the commanding commander in chief and just mm -hmm. follow blindly off a cliff? Don't know. I can't imagine. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Well, I can't imagine there won't be fear in the brains of the people who witnessed all their colleagues getting sacked on Slack. I can't imagine that they're feeling super comfortable, confident, and, and safe in that type of condition. And I know yeah. that that's the problem with hazing and some of these 1.0 leadership tactics, right? Is because it does drive fear in the experience of the person who's receiving it. And so that definitely impacts performance. It definitely impacts innovation. And I think it definitely is going to impact the sustainability of the culture he's trying to build. What's the culture he's trying to build, do you think, Susan? Cutthroat. Dog eat dog. Only the strongest survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Old school culture, <laughs> in my humble opinion. But that's because I'm a leadership 2.0 fan right <laughs> um, uh, yeah i'm with you on that one rob what are you what are your thoughts well so here i got a few quotes about Ooh, his policies on remote work and what he sent to his employees oh. and he said regarding remote work 
All that is required for approval is that your manager takes responsibility for ensuring that you're making an excellent contribution, followed by a previous another email afterwards saying, at the risk of stating the obvious, any manager who falsely claims that someone reporting to them is doing excellent work or that a given role is essential, whether remote or not, will be exited from the company. More so fair. flat out, that is saying... Mm-hmm. One is he wants people in the office, so that's fine. We already knew that. But it's like basically if you're not in the office, I'm going to be very diligent about probably firing your manager and you. And it's it's, and then the other thing he said, only exceptional performance will constitute a passing grade at Twitter 2.0, right? And so this is very much this element of like, the command control, if you don't perform, you're out the door. You're basically a commodity and I can find anyone to replace you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very punitive. It is. And it how is. Does a, yeah. How does a punitive leadership style impact psych safety staff help our audience see? Well, okay. Again, psychological safety, going back to the definition, it's the ability, the belief that you can speak up and say what's Mm -hmm. on your mind. Mm -hmm. And so I suspect that um, there are certain things that you can speak up and say, and then other things that you absolutely cannot. Mm -hmm. So like, imagine saying, uh, my sister's getting married um, over the weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Can I take Friday off? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, uh, no, <laughs> don't even ask. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. And then, but I, I, I'm I'm really curious because I've never been in that environment. I'm curious if once you're in, do you then, does psychological safety exist? Like, is it, do the folks that are in feel like they can actually speak up and say what's on their mind? Um, I don't know. Uh, that's where I'm really curious because he's done this already in other environments and he's proven to be successful. So, and uh, I think it also has um, shades of, of Steve Jobs, right? Steve Jobs was also, I think, a perceived as a toxic leader. And so, um, you know, how, how did he manage to be so successful? There must be some benefit to it. And yet, um, I think it comes at a cost. And I bet you a lot of that cost is the mental health. It is the um, people's well-being in the long run. Exactly. I know from being in that type of environment at the highest level of sports, my sport being hockey, um, I think you get initial achievement and results in the short term. And then it's the long term where you start to see the impacts of that showing up on the people. And sometimes in sports, that works because you just trade that person out and get the new fresh body in the locker room, right? And -hmm. it's kind of the same model that he's describing, isn't he? It's like, okay, you got to be exceptional, basically perfect, right? The highest level of excellence. And then when it sinks, you're replaceable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also look at uh, in Canada here with uh, NHL and the um, hockey Canada, rather, it's not the NHL, but hockey Canada, where they have these young athletes, uh, committing sexual offenses, right. And, and they're covering it up. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
you know, so begs the question in that environment, what kind of behaviors become acceptable and they just cover them all up. Mm-hmm. Which is why My, it's a culture of silence, right? It's because yeah. people are definitely not feeling empowered to speak up in that world. Yeah. Certainly if, uh, certainly if you are offering an oppositional point of view, mm-hmm. right? If you share a point of view that's different from that prevailing um, culture, then <laughs> look out because the door's right over there. And next thing you know is you're going to be walking out of it. <laughs> and that was literally, so the one person that I saw who got fired literally on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, Elon tweeted something very technical and like something about like, how can we speed up Twitter in certain companies, certain countries on Android or something. And the guy who ran that area of Twitter replied to him and said, like, this is why you can't change it because of all these like technical reasons. And it was basically like, yep, you're can now because you're disagreeing with me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know part of that is maybe he's like, well, I need folks to like be innovative and think outside the box and all this stuff. But then it's also like by firing that guy, I think what you're doing, I mean, if I was looking at it, I'd be like, okay, well, I'm not going to disagree mm-hmm. with him. And then it's going to get into that, you know, the Volkswagen, the Wells Fargo, Deepwater Horizon, like all this stuff where, mm-hmm. you know, you want a KPI? We'll hit it, damn it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? And it doesn't mean it's actually good. It just means we'll hit the KPI. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 You want that type of challenge as a leader who's interested in growth, evolution, impact. Like you want people who are going to step up and challenge you, don't you? Yeah, you know, it sort of goes, uh, I'm part of a CEO roundtable. So we have a handful mm-hmm. of CEOs in our group and facilitated by a longtime CEO of many different companies. And there's uh, there's this sort of development perspective or hire and fire perspective around people, right? Mm-hmm. Some CEOs are like, I am not going to develop anyone if they're not on day one, walking in the door with the skills required to do the job, I'm going to fire them. And just find someone that can fill that role. And, uh, you know, I'm as someone who's been in the coaching world and right. leadership development yeah. world, like that guy, that rubs, rubs me the wrong way for yeah. sure. You know, I want to give people a chance. I want to give people the opportunity to grow and develop and step into bigger roles and learn the skills as they um, work on the job. Because I certainly was that person, right? I didn't walk out of university with a, a full-fledged resume. Oh, I mean, so was the guy who believes that, right? <laughs> yeah, really, right? You have to, you have to, you know, gain some experience somewhere, right? Yeah. Um, so, but I think there are certainly CEOs out there who think, you know what? You got 60 days, you got 90 days. If you can't prove your worth or your metal, you're out and mm-hmm. I'll find someone else. And they don't have the patience for developing people. And I think in the long run, that's in the long run, that's got to be, um, you know, that's, I don't know that that can work that, or that does work. And if you look at some of the organizations that are looking at, you know, the multiple bottom lines, right, there's the financial bottom line, obviously, but then organizations that are starting to invest in um, the ESG, right, uh, environment, and it's governance and 
social responsibility and all that sort of stuff, they are proving in the long run, you have to have a long enough time frame mm-hmm. to be more profitable, to be more successful as organizations, because I think that's the right way to build a culture of commitment where people are committed to the results and committed to the organization. They're committed because their values align with the values of the organization mm-hmm. and they're not just seeking profit. Uh, I think we came back, we started with that whole concept of being part of something bigger than you, right? Mm-hmm. And so when the organization that you work for is um, supporting the world and becoming greener and supporting the world and uh, providing jobs for those who are disadvantaged, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, whatever uh, means um, through which the organization is exercising its values, then you feel like you're part of something bigger. And that's probably, in my opinion, that's the long-term strategy that you want to go with as a leader. I totally agree. And I mean, just where you're, where we're talking, right? Like this element of disposable workers is common, right? Like we see it in banking where like investment bankers, typically it's two years. They're either out the door or they're promoted. Like management consulting, again, it's like we really grind you out for two to three mm-hmm. years. You either quit and go get an MBA or you go work for one of your clients. Um, yeah, yeah. Like these are, these are, you know, like, I guess lawyers who are just new, you know, it's like people accept these roles and work a hundred hours a week for a few years to get hopefully to that prize. But often that prize doesn't make them feel better. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that folks are changing. And even like we were looking at the stats the other day, Susan, and it was like companies that build a culture of trust. They mm-hmm. outperform the stock or their peers by two per two to three percent per year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you compound that. That doesn't sound like a lot, but you compound two percent, three percent a year, year over year for over ten years, right? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, the difference maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I see. You know what I see in all of that is like a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, and please believe the mindset of the leader is going to be what ripple effects into that organization's growth and evolution. That's where we started with that point, right? And so when you're saying you're you're, you're good or you're out, it's like a very fixed mindset. You need to have everything already baked in you. There's no development here. Like imagine I got on to my hockey team, my freshman year at Princeton, and my coach was like, there's no development for you here. Sorry. <laughs> I, there's no way I would have unlocked all that potential that was realized the second, third, fourth, you know, year or experience on that team. That's where I go, right? When I'm thinking about the difference here that we're really talking about and why this old school 1.0 fixed punitive command and control style of leadership is just simply not sustainable in 2022. Mm. Right, I find I, I find it interesting, uh, sort of on a global scale, that we have um, political leaders that you know we live in a democracy, <laughs> so mm-hmm. the democracy is constructed in a way that yes, there is a figurehead at the at the head of the government, mm-hmm. um, but there's all kinds of checks and balances. Right, we exactly. have all kinds of systems, whether it's a judicial system or, uh, you know, all of these structures are put in place Mm -hmm. to make sure that one person doesn't have too much power. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yet 
we kind of bow to the uh, the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Elon Musks and the, you know, these tech CEOs mm -hmm. that have immense, immense amount of power. It's mm -hmm. crazy. Mm -hmm. And especially when you start looking at technology and how it affects our daily lives, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was put to me in a really interesting way. When you have, say, 30 or 20 engineers at Facebook making decisions about some algorithm that affects 1.8 billion people every single day or whatever it is, right? And it's affecting what you see and how often you see it and and um, and the spreading of misinformation, all this sort of stuff, that can go untested, unchallenged. And we bow down to these folks, mm -hmm. praising them for what they've created in the world. And it just seems like a lot of power concentrated in a very small number of people that's pretty scary. Um, that's and 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 Elon is definitely flexing that power <laughs> at Twitter. Uh, who knows? Like what, what we haven't talked about is what's the direction he's going to take Twitter, which is supposed to be this open, you know, town hall for the world's conversation. I don't know what it's going to do. Do you guys have any? Do you folks have any ideas to what direction he's going to point? That's the scary part. When you think about somebody with this type of decision making going on behind his gates, and you think about where somebody with that much power, right, could take something like this, you know, and I don't know enough about that to be any kind of an expert in terms of foreseeing it. But it definitely worries me. <laughs> I'll tell you yeah. that much. What do you think, Rob? I mean... I don't know where he's taking it, but we've already seen some impacts where f I think it was last week or the week before he released this thing where you could pay eight bucks and get a blue check mark and be yeah, 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 like yeah. official. And yeah. someone created, well, fake lots account. of people, everyone created fake accounts and paid eight bucks to be official. And like someone um, tweeted from their fake Eli Lilly account that Eli Lilly was going to give away free insulin and their stock price tanked. Mm -hmm. When Let's not get into the debate about how much they overcharge for insulin, um, but it like wiped billions off their market cap. Mm -hmm. And it was because some guy was like, here's eight bucks. I want to do this because it's funny, right? And so it's like, I mean, it is funny, but by the same token, it's like. Dangerous. You're, yeah, it's dangerous, right? And and like James Bond literally had a movie about that where they crashed the, like Casino Royale, right? It was like they shorted yeah, yeah. the plane and then they crashed it on purpose just so they could make a ton of money. Like. What if someone would have shorted Eli Lilly and then tanked it and then bought a ton and it's going to go back up because their business hasn't changed? Like they could have made billions of dollars on billions of dollars for an $8 investment. Wow. <laughs> right? That's some, yeah, that's pretty smart. I mean, Elon Musk did that himself with uh, crypto. Yeah. Uh, I think one quarter Tesla showed a immense amount of profit. Why? Because he tweeted, he said, crypto's where it's at or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Or Bitcoin or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. Bitcoin goes through the roof. He sells all his Bitcoin. Uh, when I say yeah. he, I mean uh, yeah. Tesla. Yeah. Tesla had a bunch of Bitcoin and they're like, woohoo, yay, we made yeah. a profit this quarter. <laughs>
Uh, oh, yeah. it's, it's the wild, wild west. <laughs> yeah, we're, we'll, uh, we'll talk about market manipulation. <laughs> <another time. laughs> yeah, yeah, we're here to talk about leadership and uh, <laughs> and, and how to solve the and, world's biggest problems. And how to solve the world's biggest problems. Now we have a new problem. Damn it, <laughs> we're not solving them. We're adding to the problems. Oh so goodness. Steph, I want I want to ask you this, yeah. right? Is like if there's one thing you could say to leaders out there who are navigating this crazy time, mm-hmm. especially now at the end of 2022, what would you say to them? Mm-hmm. Now, the first thing that comes to mind in the spirit of psychological safety is just to be a listener. Mm-hmm. You know, be really curious. You have to put on your curiosity hat and get in touch with people and say. Uh, I want to hear from you. And it's not that you have to make any decisions, not that you have to do anything with the information immediately, but -hmm. I think you want to be tuning into your folks and understanding where they're at, what issues they're seeing, how how these global changes are affecting them personally, how they see it affecting the business, the organization that you're running. And so that's what I would say is just start to, you know, it's like put out your little antenna yeah, and and start to tune into folks and just be curious. I love that. And what do you want your legacy to be? Well, my, I want my legacy to be uh, better leadership uh, across the globe because you know this toxic leadership, toxic masculinity. There's no place for it. There's absolutely no place for it. I think we want to create environments where people feel like they can really contribute their best. They can blow the whistle if they see something that's offside mm-hmm. and they're not going to get reprimanded for it. Um, so those are the types of environments I want for everyone. And sadly, what is it? Something like I think there's a, a poll, a Gallup poll that suggests that something like 28 percent of people feel like their voice matters at work. Yep. Not that sucks. high enough. Yeah, that, I agree. That, that's really awful. You know, seven out of 10 people showing up at work feeling like their voice doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And and how are we supposed to solve the biggest problems if seven out of 10 people, that's basically saying, eh, I'm punching the clock. Mm-hmm. That's I'm doing time. Mm-hmm. That's it. I'm how are we time. supposed to, how, right? Yeah. How are we supposed to solve the world's well biggest problems if seven out of 10 people are just doing time? They're going just through showing the up, yeah. going through the motions. They're Hosting. not leaning in. They're not, you know, <laughs> you talk about this concept of like good to great. They're not, yeah. they're, they're, they're at maybe at good. Yeah. yeah right? They're yeah. not giving their individual best. And so, no. um, that's, that's what I'd like to see my legacy be. Love that. I love that. Of you course. And, Pat. and that's obviously our mission as well. So we love this one. Steph, obviously for folks out there, they should check out numi.com. That's N-O-O-M-I-I.com, Zarango.com, Z-A-R-A-N-G-O.com, Skillsetter.com. And then also we've dropped your LinkedIn in the podcast notes. Is there anywhere else you want folks to find you? That's enough for me. I, I have one social media that I really pay attention to, which is LinkedIn. So I'd love for people to just connect with me there and, and join the conversation. And, um, that's, that's it. Thank you so much, Rob and Susan. It was a pleasure. 
Absolutely. And I'm, I obviously I only use LinkedIn as well. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. Susan's on LinkedIn and we have an Instagram page for elite high performance. So you can check that out there. And obviously if you're listening to the show, please hit subscribe to the leadership launchpad project on your favorite podcast platform and share it with any leaders in your life. And also feel free to, to hit us up. If you have any comments on what you think, Elon's doing and where do you think Twitter 2.0 is going? We'd love to we'd love to hear that. And so obviously for us, if there's anything you need from a leadership development standpoint, feedback and conflict management, psych safety, DEI, and more, head on over to elitehighperformance.com for all of that. Susan, where do you want to leave folks with today? It's kind of that full circle moment for me, right? We started off talking about how leadership's all about having a vision where you're able to help rally people, right? Towards something bigger that they really value, that's meaningful to them. I think we've done that today, right? And huddling here with Steph and riffing on all of this that we're seeing in terms of the madness in the world. This is an opportunity for us all to be a part of this A-team that helps change the way the game of business is being played forever. So I'm just really excited that Steph was here today to help us rally the troops because boy, oh boy, does this world need this more than ever. It's absolutely true. And it's something that we're seeing everywhere. And we talked about the business benefits of you know, the building trust and psychological safety and all these things is roughly going to translate to 2% in stock returns per year over a long-term period, Some, sometimes up to 26 years. So think about that in terms of compound interest. Compound effects, yeah. Um, now I want to talk about the other side of it. And there's a study out of UBC and the Heads Up guys, and they were talking about men in Canada, and they're saying that, 35% of men reported feeling dread about going to work. And to go on top of that, the same or a different 35%, but another 35% of them sur surveyed said their personal lives ne negatively impacted their performance at work. And 30% of men were burnt out and 36% of men are experiencing moderately to severe anger. Mm -mm. So we're talking about one in three men are not pumped about going to work and they're experiencing the mental consequences of this. And even that study goes on and says like over 50% of men in Canada are clinically hitting the threshold for depression. Ugh. This is impacting us. And this is the time where we got to step up and make that change because the world is changing. Mm -hmm. This is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And not only can those men feel better, you can also make more money. So it's a win-win for everyone. So if, if that's not enough, get out there, get some psych safety going, practice, 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 practice. <laughs> and and <everyone>. listen. <laughs> yeah, practice, practice, listen. practice. Listen, listen, listen. Yeah. Steph, thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. Rob, thank you. I'm curious with that study, why they were looking at just men, why not women as well? And what was the so yeah, so for looking at men only? 
Yeah, so it's it's run through the Heads Up Guys Foundation that's based out of UBC, and they're primarily talking about men's mental health. Um, so it's it's a men's only kind of organization. Uh, I have another stat for you if you'd like to go across genders and across age. I gotta groups. imagine it's gotta be similar, right? Yeah. So if not higher potentially. Oh, likely women. I would, I would guess, but I don't. I don't know specifically about women, but we were looking at the Stanford and and study a Stanford and HBS study, mm -hmm. and it said that the way people manage others at work contributes to 120,000 deaths in the United States per year and 5 to 8% of medical costs total. And to put that into perspective for folks, that means that work is the sixth leading cause of death in the United States, right behind uh, strokes, which is around 144,000 deaths, and right ahead of Alzheimer's, which is around 100 and I believe is 119,000 deaths. So the problem is astronomically high and just flat out unacceptable. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, we uh, a colleague of ours, Sir Kerry Cooper, uh, working in the he's American, but working in the UK has done a decent amount of research looking at the leading cause of stress in mm -hmm. workers. Mm -hmm. And the number one, number one is, is their manager. Yeah. And, and their relationship with their manager. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that is where we're really going to work with the deliberate practice components because there's no schooling for management skills, right? We couldn't learn how to yeah. work a spreadsheet and <laughs> run numbers and do all kinds of other things, but we don't learn how to interact with one another. And uh, what makes me think with the stats with for the men in particular, I wonder if men are less likely to talk about what's going on for them. I know I'm also a volunteer firefighter and I was on a call yesterday all about PTSD mm -hmm. and what may trigger PTSD and how to deal with it and being able to speak to your colleagues and to openly speak to a counselor, et cetera. And I just, I wonder if, um, if there's a gendered difference there, like men are less likely to talk about stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't want to make any assumptions there, but that seems like a reasonable hypothesis to me. And so that's something to be considering as a leader or manager is in your work environment, especially if you have a lot of men, um, if, if this hypothesis is true, creating an environment where folks can say, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm a little bit bummed. My dog died. Mm -hmm. And that being okay, it's okay to feel blue and maybe take a day off because your dog Ooh. died, oh you know, your gosh. best, yeah. your best friend. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you might feel inclined to say, yeah, I'm doing great today, just like every other day. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to spend great tomorrow, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the attunement that we're talking about. It's so easy as a leader to say, how's everyone doing? And yeah, everyone yeah. says, I'm doing great. And you say, great. Okay, let's keep yeah, going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That that complicity, that sort of agreement, politeness mm -hmm. is pervasive. And it's easy as a leader to miss that, to just mm -hmm. think, okay, every, everyone's telling me the truth. They must be all doing fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree, Steph. And it's something that I've been working at least in my community to open that space up is and my community being men in heavy industry for the most part and it's something that I'm super passionate about because obviously I experienced that mm -hmm. and so it's totally 
we need to open that space for folks because the problem's big and it's not getting any better unless we make it better. So <laughs> with that, we have so much more to cover and we'll definitely <laughs> need we'll to, have to have you back. back yeah. Um, we need part two. So everyone, we really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. And we'll see you all next week. Bye everyone.